Good morning. So before we read the scripture passage today, I'd like you to actually um, uh, do something with me. I'd like you to, to take a few minutes uh, to think about a time in your life. Think back on your story, okay? And what I'd like you to think about is specifically a time in your life when things may have seemed difficult, when it felt like there were dead ends and uncertainties around, and how it was that God might have shown up in one of those times, how God manifest himself, maybe of creating a new way, a new hope, opening a new door, bringing in a new relationship. How has God shown up in the midst of hardship and difficulty in your story? Now, sometimes in churches, when we start doing this and talking about this, we can try to one-up each other in the drama of who's got the most dramatic story of what God's done. God doesn't work that way. Stuff isn't graded in that kind of way. So I'm not going to ask you to share this with anybody else. I'm not going to ask you to talk about this with anyone else. This is just for you. It can be the quietest of examples. Whatever it is, when have you been in times of difficulty and things that were beyond your control start happening? And a new chapter begins. When does God show up in your story? This morning we are continuing on and as you sit and remember and think about the circumstances of that with our rescued teaching series. Uh, We're jumping ahead to chapter 14. Uh, Last week we read chapter 3 where Moses is at the burning bush as we journey through uh, the book of Exodus. Today we're jumping ahead actually to chapter 14 in Exodus. Uh, Moses in between has gone back to Egypt, has appeared before Pharaoh, has suggested that Pharaoh let the people go. Pharaoh thinks about it for a minute and says no. And then Moses says, well, plagues are going to come. And there's 10 plagues that come, 10 plagues that, that uh, hit Egypt and the Egyptians. And Pharaoh only after the 10th one, what the Hebrew people today celebrate is the Passover. It's only after the 10th one that Pharaoh agrees to let the Hebrew slaves go free. They gather together with Moses. There's probably tens of thousands of them, we believe. They traveled up from Egypt, north and west, back to the Red Sea again. This is the third time Moses has encountered the Red Sea. Once when he's fleeing to Midian. Next, when he comes back to receive the call of God to go back to Egypt. And now, surrounded by uh, people who have been enslaved for generations, he shows up at the Red Sea. But, as many of you know, uh, what happens when he gets to the Red Sea is that Pharaoh's changed his mind again. And this time Pharaoh is not trying to keep slaves. This time Pharaoh sends an army out to go and kill all of the slaves who have escaped. And so the Hebrew people find themselves trapped between an ocean, a sea on one side, with no boats and no way of getting across it. On the other side, chariots and and soldiers who are committed to killing them. And this is one of the most well-known passages in all of the Bible, in all of literature, really of what takes place. I'm going to bring it up here. Selected verses from Exodus 14. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You can almost imagine the Hebrews like talking loudly to Moses, hoping the Egyptians hear him. It's like, this wasn't our idea. It was his idea. 
But Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at the dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news today, and it would teach us what an abundant life is truly about. We lift this prayer up in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So one of the dangers when you read a really familiar passage of scripture is that you don't actually really take it in because you sort of know what's going to happen, right? I doubt that any of you, even if you're very new to church, which we have a, a number of people here who are, that I doubt that very many of you, when the Israelites went into the sea and when the chariots of Pharaoh went into the sea after them, I doubt many of us were sitting there going, what's going to happen? I don't know. Like, I mean, we kind of know this story, right? However, it is important as much as we can to place ourselves in the text and to ask ourselves what it would have really been like. What would you have felt if you were there? So I want to interact with you a little bit on this because it's important we place ourselves there. If you had been there in the middle of this, one of the, one of the people, uh, a part of this, uh, what would you have felt? What words would come to mind? Uh, and just kind of like one word. I, we don't need a whole explanation or a whole paragraph because I get to talk, not you right now. So, uh, but just like a, a word of what that would have felt like if you were there. Panic, fear, apprehension, terror, doubt, Perfect. It was a good day. It was a really, really good day. And the good part is our lives never feel that way, do they? Our lives never have any of those things of uncertainty or doubt or fear or worry or, I mean, you know, of course they do. Our lives can feel this way all the time. And we can get swept up in that fear very easily. We have a very serious health crisis, for instance, that we see taking place in China right now. But if you read the headlines, we are all doomed in the next 20 minutes, <laughs> right? We as human beings, we, the panic is like, it, we can just get swept up in it. And you see that happening here. Now contrast that in the middle of that switch situation with what we see in Moses. In one word, how would you describe what Moses was like? Thankful, faithful, okay, trusting, obedience. Yeah, these are very different words. And here's what I'd like you to think about today. This is what we're going to be talking about. If indeed the world throws at us all the time circumstances that are fearful, frightening, anxious, difficult, 
uncertain, feels like there's no way out. All of the things that describe what this may have felt like to the, the Hebrew people. What's the difference in responding like Moses and responding like the people? Because what's easy to think about is that Moses is like on the Mount Rushmore of faith, right? Like if we just read this story, we'd be sitting there going like, well, it's Moses. I mean, that's what he, that's what Moses does, right? That's what leaders do. That's what happens. Leaders are the ones who stay calm in the midst of panic. And so, you know, that's, that's, that's what's happening. But the good news in doing a series like we've done is we know that Moses was not born this way. He was formed. And that's really important because we can learn to do this. We can learn in the middle of the chaos of life not to get swept up in it. That is, a, that is something we can be formed to do. And that's what we want to talk about today is how. How do we, in the midst of the craziness of life, not get swept up in it? How do we get formed like Moses? We know this because Moses has, has, has murdered someone. He didn't do it as like this rebellious freedom fighter starting trying to start a movement. He murders this person and then covers the body up and hopes he gets away with it and goes back to his life hoping nothing will change. He is somebody that has to flee. He's somebody that doesn't know really where he belongs. He, he's described as both a Hebrew and an Egyptian. He doesn't have a place that's really his own. Uh, Moses is someone who names his first child, I am an alien in a foreign land. Like, think about what that young guy had to deal with growing up when that's your name, right? But it just shows the confusion and the difficulty. And then as we read last week, Moses gets to the burning bush and just starts arguing with God. God says, I'm going to send you back to do this work. And Moses is like, I'm not the right person. I don't have the right skills. I don't have the business plan. I don't have all the contingencies laid out. I don't know how it's going to work. Pharaoh and I are not exactly on good terms. Last time I saw him, he tried to kill me. We're not on each other's Christmas cards list. If you want to convince him of something, I am not the person to go back and do this. There's got to be a different way. Something changes in Moses from then till now. He's being shaped. He's being formed. He's learning a new way of being. And you and I can learn this as well. To not get caught up in the chaos of life. The key, I believe, is a little, almost easy to overlook section of verse 16. And in verse 16, what God says to Moses when the people are trapped at the water is God says, take your staff in your hand and hold it over the water. Now that can be something that escapes us because we're with like the walls of water and the dry ground and the chariots and the pillars of fire and cloud. It's easy to forget this part, but God's words to Moses are, take your staff. Now what's important about that? Because what I'm going to suggest to you today is that if you and I are going to be shaped and formed like Moses, we need a staff in our lives. Each and every one of us needs a staff or two to learn to be shaped and formed like Moses. Now, what's important about the staff? We're going to bring some scripture in a minute up on the screen uh, to understand this. But to get what's important about this and how you and I are to think about having a staff in our lives, we need to do a little review of Exodus and how we've gotten here. What we read last week in Exodus chapter 3, God says to Moses, you're going to go back and do this. And if you remember, when God says to Moses, this is what you're going to go do, God gives Moses one promise. He doesn't give him a business plan as to how this is going to work, right? And that would have felt comforting to Moses. It'd feel comforting to me if God would give me that in my life, right? It's like, you're going to say this, then Pharaoh's going to do this. And then when Pharaoh says this, I'll do this, and then you do this, and then it all works out in the end. Moses doesn't get that. He's given one promise, one thing that everything depends on. And what God says to Moses at the burning bush is, when you go, I will be with you. That's it. That's the only thing Moses is given to go back with. And just so that we're clear, there's nothing different about that promise than the promise God makes to me and you. 
There are many terms as Christians that we talk about for Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, but one we talk about on Christmas Eve and in Advent comes from the Gospel of Luke. We say that Jesus is Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel, we sing, which is translated as what? God with us. There is nothing promised to Moses that's not promised to you. Nothing. Moses learns to be able to act within that promise, and so you and I need to. Now, what does the staff mean? First thing we see, and we're going to bring one scripture, there are going to be three of them we're going to bring up here, is from Exodus chapter 4. Moses is still at the burning bush right now, okay? He's still there arguing with God about how he's not right to go. And this is what he says to God. In in chapter 4 he says, Then Moses answered, but suppose they, he's talking about the Hebrew leaders, the elders who he has to go back to, okay? But suppose they do not believe me or listen to me, but say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. And Moses drew back from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and seize it by the tail. So he reached out his hand and grasped it and it became a staff in his hand so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Now this is important. The first sign as Moses and God are arguing at the burning bush about how is this going to work out is the staff becomes the symbol that Moses is to throw down on the ground and to see that the promise of God is real. Does that make sense? The staff is just a piece of wood. But in throwing it down, Moses sees that he can trust that the promise of God is faithful. The staff becomes a symbol, so to speak, of God's promise. It's a physical manifestation of the promise of God, right? Now, next scripture passage, as we journey on through, this is the end of chapter 4. This is beginning of chapter 4 is Moses still at the burning bush. End of chapter 4, he's now back in Egypt, appearing before the elders, the ones who he said, How are they, what if they don't believe me and say, God hadn't appeared to you? Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and performed the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. The sign is the sign of what Moses does with the staff there. And so all of a sudden, the staff has now become a sign to all of the people of the promise of God. The first thing is Moses at the bush, and the staff is thrown down on the ground. It becomes a snake, and it symbolizes God's faithfulness to Moses. Now the circle is expanded, but it's still the staff that is the manifestation of God's promise. Then the last scripture passage will bring up, the circle expands again. This is where Moses now appears in front of Pharaoh for the first time. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand by at the river bank to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was turned into a snake. Say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you to say, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. See, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall be turned to blood. This is the first of the ten plagues. And it begins now with the audience being the court of Pharaoh and Pharaoh himself. The staff is what Moses uses in his hand to demonstrate that God is with him. And plagues number two and three start with the staff in Moses' hand. Now, you might be sitting there right now going, this is great. Where's that staff? (laughs) Like, we need to send an Indiana Jones-style crusade out to go find the staff. Because if we could find the staff, life is a whole lot better with that staff than not. But here's the thing, friends. It's just a piece of wood. 
It's not Gandalf with a magic wand. It's a piece of wood to symbolize. It's a walking stick from Midian that he used as a shepherd. But it becomes the symbol of God's promise. While he uses it in plagues 1, 2, and 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 don't involve the staff. It's not that something can't happen. It's at the beginning as Moses being formed each time. Each time the circle expands, the staff is what he holds on to to demonstrate that God's promise is real to him. And so when he is standing at the Red Sea with an army behind him, the Lord says once again, grab that staff. And I don't think that Moses was just calm and cool and collected. But I think what allowed him to look different was he held that staff up, and I bet he gripped it white-knuckled. But he held it, knowing that the God who had shown up before had promised to show up again. What makes Moses different from the people is that the staff allows him to remember and not get swept up in the chaos. The prophet Jeremiah says that one of the chief sins of people is that we are forgetful. God shows up one minute, we're grateful for it, and 45 seconds later we have another problem and we panic about it again. Jeremiah says you need to remember, and this is how you do it. There's a term we talk about around here. It comes from some research at Fuller, and I hope it becomes more and more of a part of our vocabulary as a church. Fuller did some work on human flourishing. And one of the things that they looked at was who are people that are fully alive, who have joy, that others see that in. And they said that there's some very real traits, common characteristics they have. They're people who are are, are spiritually connected, know how to retreat, pull away from the busyness and connect spiritually, have a vibrant spiritual life. They're people who have uh, a real sense of community, that they don't feel alone in the midst of a very busy world, but they have people who know them. And one of the things they found that they, they devised a new term for is they said people who are flourishing have a sense of what they've called hopeful expectation. They live with a sense not of cynicism, but of hopeful expectation. And that's not naive optimism. That's not the world's going to magically become a better place. Hopeful expectation is what takes place when you recognize that God's promises are real. And so you can hold up a staff, in a sense, going, I think God's going to do something new. I think when Moses pulled that staff out, there was a sense of hopeful expectation for him and the people. I don't know what's about to happen, but God's about to do something. Why? Because that's what God does. We know the story. This is how we don't do what Jeremiah says. This is how we don't forget. Because I think the people, if they'd all been in a Sunday school class, would have all academically agreed, oh, I believe in God. I believe in his power. It's when the chaos starts that we forget it and panic. How do we remember in the moment? You need a staff. You need a staff. And that can take a variety of forms. Here's the good news. If you don't have one, and probably most of us in this room don't have a staff, we're like the people, you can create one. It's never too late to make your own staff. Now, what do I mean by that? This is some suggestions for you to think about this week, because I'm going to invite all of you to think about if you don't have a staff. And if you're not certain if you have one, you don't have it. If you, you either know you have a staff or you don't. It's not one of those, oh, I might have one. You don't have it but you can build it right now, today. You can choose to do it right now, today. 
It can take a physical form. It might be a staff, but I know for some people that that they've been given a a cross at a really important time in their life and they'll carry it with them in their pocket during the day or they'll hold it in their purse during the day and when things get hard, they can reach in and they can hold it in their hand and it can be a reminder to them in the moment when they feel the panic starting up of the promise for God to be with them. The same promise that was given to Moses is given to each of us. It's a way of remembering. I know people who have been given a Bible by someone that they cared about, and that Bible is not just something that they read to absorb God's Word, but it's actually become a staff that they can hold it, and they can remember the stories of what God has done just in holding it, and it calms them and gives... Maybe there's something physical that when you think back on your story of how has God shown up in difficult times, you could find something to remember so that when hard times come again, you have something tangible in your hands to say, we know the promise of God to us today. And we don't need to live in fear. It might take a different form. You could build a staff through ritual, through habit. This is what the Hebrew people do. When Moses dies, if the staff had been a magic wand, there would have been a huge fight for who gets the staff. They didn't fight about it. The staff was just a piece of wood. What the Hebrew people did as they were formed is they they developed the celebration of the Passover meal where they remembered this event every year. They would sit down at a meal and they would tell the stories to each other again to new generations of how God had shown up in the midst of difficulty. Maybe that should be something that you consider doing. Sitting down with those whom you love and sharing the stories of how God has shown up in your life so that a sense of hopeful expectation starts to build in us, becomes a part of woven into our DNA because we remember the stories of what God does. Maybe we need to start sharing the story. That might be what you look at doing this week. Or maybe you build a new habit. Something to remind you of, this is how God's shown up in my past and I need to remember it for the chaos of what today and tomorrow hold. I'll close with this. It's a story of someone who built their own practice of this, a friend of mine named Josh. Josh grew up in Atlanta. He grew up in a family. Uh, he was an agnostic. Uh, his parents were agnostic. They did nothing spiritual or religious uh, at all, and uh, he hadn't grown up in church. But when he went to college, Josh started to just kind of struggle with kind of where is their hope in the world. He said he started looking at the news and events, and he's like, I don't know that we're going to be able to figure this out. I don't know that it re- human beings are going to get it all right someday. And he started like, what's the point and what's the hope? And he came home at Christmas one year when he was dealing with that. And a friend of his from high school invited him to come to a Bible study at his house. And Josh had never been to a Bible study before. And he said he was desperate enough that he didn't go there thinking he was going to meet Jesus. But he just went there because he like, well, maybe they'll give me a thought that I can have. So he goes home and he's planning on going to this Bible study. So he asked his parents if uh, uh, they would give him a ride. And he didn't have a car. And they were like where are you going? He was like, a Bible study at so-and-so's house. They're like, we're not going to give you a ride there. We don't believe in that stuff. So we're not going to do that. He said, well, can I borrow the car? And they said, no, you cannot. Not what we do. So Josh left his house and walked 1.2 miles to his friend's house to attend this Bible study, which he didn't believe in in the first place. But you also tell a 19-year-old not to do something, and (laughs) who knows what his motivations really were. But he went... And in someone opening the scriptures and teaching for him, he heard for the first time about the idea that God loved him, that God valued him, that God would show up and rescue this world that God loves so much. And for Josh, it started to awaken something in him. And then he walked back to his house that night, and the waves of this promise of God washed over him personally in new and exciting ways for him, and his life started looking different. Every year on the anniversary of that date, and Josh is now almost 50, he goes back to that house. And he parks outside what is, used to be his parents' house, who don't live there anymore, and he doesn't know who lives there. 
And every year on the same date, he parks his car and he walks 1.2 miles to the house where he attended that Bible study, who he doesn't know who lives there anymore. And he sits outside and prays, and then he walks the 1.2 miles back. Not because there's something magical in that, because it grounds him in the promise of what God has done in his life already and calms the storms a little bit. He said when life gets really hard, he goes back to that. He's an attorney now in Atlanta. He sometimes does at the end of the day in his business suit. When things are really difficult, he goes and parks and walks 1.2 miles and walks back claiming the promise, not that God's going to do something wonderfully new, but that God's going to keep doing what God does. It's a staff. It's a way of remembering and not giving in to the panic and the chaos. You and I need a staff. So there's one of two ways you can leave here today. One way will mean that nothing changes in your life. That way is to leave here going, that's interesting. There's a lot about staffs in Exodus. I don't know. Moses seemed to have a pretty cool staff. Just that's what you leave with. Or you can leave here today remembering how God has shown up in your story and determined for you and in your family to build your own staff so that you remember the story of how God has shown up in your life before so that when the chaos of life starts swirling again, and it will, that we have something to hold on to, the promise that God is holding on to us and will not let us go. Do you have a staff? Lord, we do pray that the truth of your love for us would wash over us and that you would lead us in how to build good memories, how to have staffs in our life that remind us that you have shown up before and rescued us and rescued this world and that you will show up again. That we be people of hopeful expectation despite the circumstances that the world might throw at us. We pray for your leading and your guiding to take these steps that we might remember. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.